Today is October 19th, 2020, and it is the first episode of the On The Bump podcast. Welcome aboard. On the Bump podcast, we're pumped. We are pumped for this one. Joined by our co-host, Todd. Let's go. I'm ready to talk some baseball, get spicy here. We're, we're two fiery guys. We're going to unleash our opinions on the world and each other. It's going to be great. And we have a new face to our podcast. It is behind the board, Bob. Producer Bob. Babu. How's it going, Bob? Going great. Yeah, we are here. We're all here. Producer Bob, Big Toddy G. And this show basically is going to be exactly what you're seeing today. Talking all the hottest topics in baseball, uh, mainly with the season's ending kind of where it is. When we're starting with World Series talk. Then it's going to get into free agency. Then it's going to get into spring training. And then we're going to be going again. That's kind of what we're doing here. Every Tuesday at 4 o'clock, these will come out. Um, and yeah. Just look forward to those shows every single week. And um, while we get going here, there was a segment I wanted to start this with. And um, it is called Big Toddy G's Tweets. So I wanted to start with that. And he doesn't know right now, but um, we have muted him um, for this <laughs> segment. So first tweet. It's April 1st, 2021. There's no more COVID. Yankees have a ring ceremony as COVID champs. <laughs> Life is good. Number what two. day was that? Um, that was in July. I don't have. I I should have copied the whole thing. I believe it was July, either July 12th or July 13th in that field, because it was. Po- oh no, July 9th. It was posted on July 9th. July 9th. Um, Life is good. Number two. This was August 3rd. So not too long. I mean, relatively almost end of the season. I'm sad we don't get to see this version of the Yankees play 162 games. July 3rd, 11.25 at night, which means it was right after a game. They probably just swept the Blue Jays. He was so excited about beating the Blue Jays in Buffalo. Um, <laughs> and then he said, and I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to try the name because I'm going to butcher it. The backup catcher for the Yankees, Kyle Higashioka. Maybe hopefully I said that right. He is the premier backup catcher of the future World Series champion, New York Yankees. So with all that being said, Todd, like to talk a little bit? You know, I still believe in the Yanks. And that part about Higashioka being the premier backup catcher on the World Series champion could still come true. That one. What do you believe in? What do you believe in at this point? I believe in – what do I believe in? I believe in our batters to come up when when the pressure's on the most. They don't, of course, but 
eventually I think they'll figure it out. Um, pitching wise, one of these years they'll figure it out. Winning a World Series is a very random occurrence that I think as Yankees fans, we have underappreciated and undervalued in the past. And now because we're so hungry for one and we're, we're trying and we're keep, we keep trying, we're, we're kind of getting over analytical into what is wrong with our team. It's just a random occurrence that we haven't won a World Series or only won in the past 20 years. It's somewhat random. Yes. It's not random. Winning- it's not random because when you get to a certain level of success, like the Cubs did before they won their first one, like the Astros did before they the won their first one. The Cubs have fallen off. Let's okay. not get into the Astros. But we're, not, we're not talking about back-to-back. We're not talking about repeating. The Cubs got to the pinnacle and they got one in that time frame. The Yankees have been on the bridge of success for four years, almost half a decade. I mean, really, they've been on the bridge of success for the last since they won the last World Series because they've never truly been out of it outside of one year. I mean, you their rebuild to... happened. Their rebuild happened much quicker than expected. They were not supposed to compete in 2017. 2016, they kind of just they sold out they played seller at the deadline got assets in return for chapman being glaber torres traded andrew miller got a bunch of assets there so the plan really has been for the yankees to have been competing for 2018 2019 and then this year which this year was very circumstantial there are a lot of elements to the season that made it unique, of course. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the show as producer Babo has queued up for us. Um, but within that, the Yankees have been on a similar trajectory to say the Dodgers, the Astros who got one via their cheating. Um, the Red Sox have kind of a different philosophy where they are they're good for two years and then they throw it all away and then they're good for a year and throw it all away. So Yankees consistency is what will get them over the hump at some point. Isn't there something to be said about the fact that Yankees fans put so much pressure on the team every year to succeed? So isn't, when you say they've, you know, they had a rebuild for a year, which I agree with 2017. I agree with that. It was supposed to be longer, but the pressure on the New York team. And, and I'm not saying as a Met fan that there's not pressure on the Mets to compete every year. The Mets don't compete. They, they fail at that. I mean, not as much pressure as the Yankees, but it's a New York team. There's pressure on any team in New York. But the whole point is that Yankee fans put all this pressure to rebuild and they did it and they did it fast enough. Now they have three years. So going to 2017 now, 2018, 2019, 2020 of getting right there on the, on the edge of it and falling short. So it, what, as we, as we're getting into some of our thoughts here today, what is, what is the difference? What can be done to this team to change them going forward? Cause all we've seen in the playoffs is blown saves, bats going cold and just untimely mistakes. So what can be done differently with this roster to win a world series in 2021? Well, I think what we're going to see here in a little bit, is that unfortunately there's been a lot of talk of getting under the luxury tax. I think the Yankees are a little too obsessed with the Rays model of doing things, playing into analytics. And of course, analytics are going to run baseball 
the Dodgers have been at the cusp for, for years, and they're run by Andrew Friedman, who is basically the godfather of the analytics movement in baseball. He was the he came from the Rays system, built that 2008 team that made it to the World Series, obviously didn't win the World Series, and he's kind of running into the same thing actually with the Dodgers where they kind of keep getting there. He has more assets at his disposal. They keep getting there. They don't get over the hump. Kind of similar boat to what the Yankees want to be, except they're playing a little too much into the analytics, and I think it's hurting them. And I think the Yankees are in that same boat where – Boone is not really a manager. Boone is just some nerd in the who's crunching an Excel spreadsheet is calling in to, to the dugout, telling Aaron Boone to put Mike Ford as a pinch hitter in the eighth <laughs> inning of an elimination game. Now, I don't know Todd where that forward. came from. Before Todd goes forward, I need everyone to, to paint this picture. So, we're all friends. We're all in a chat throughout the whole playoffs, going back and forth, as you can imagine. Um, and the biggest game of the series, Todd decided to not let me talk to him throughout the game. And I feel like that is called karma. I feel like that is deserved. <laughs> and I feel like when I saw Mike Ford get up, I knew everything was right in the world. Um, Todd. It was just one of those moments where I needed to be at peace with myself and whatever happened in that moment. So I just kind of needed to be alone in my own thoughts, watch the game, focus on the game and, and kind of not let my emotions get in the way of, of what's going on in the game. And there were a lot of mistakes in that game, but I think there were a lot of mistakes in the series as well. And I think we're going to get into that as well, where we kind of talk about what was the biggest mistake in in that series for the Yankees. Yeah, we're going to we'll, – we'll definitely get into I mean, this. should we just get into it? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm going to start so, it. Oh, you go. You, you go, want to start? No, you go, Babu. Okay. What's the biggest mistake? Putting Happen with a game two? And then Chapman going 10 pitches against Brousseau when he clearly should have walked him. All right. Well, I'm going to start this off. Wow, pulling out the notes. I brought notes. I brought notes. And as Bob pointed out before the show started, um, the notes that I, that I put, if we do put this on video, you can see, um, it's way too much for a 10 pitch of fat, but doesn't matter. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it has to be Chapman in the, in the game, in the game five. It has to be. And I know Todd's going to disagree, and that's what makes this show great. You're playing a guy who is a fastball hitter. We've seen that throughout the whole season. He's still younger to the league, so he's looking fastball. He's stepping up against Chapman, and he's looking for the fastball. Takes that first pitch, fastball down uh, right off the edge of the plate, called strike. Goes down 0-2. He swung at the second pitch. So now you have to realize he's all off the sorts. 0-2, one of the worst, it's one of the worst counts in baseball. You do not want to be there. Now, Chapman decided this year to start throwing splitters. Now. His dominant pitch is a fastball upstairs. It's a slider away against lefties, slider away, um, slider inside against righties. What are you saying, Tom? No, the slider is the pitch that gets him into trouble the most. Okay. I think but, everyone but, knows it's coming. It, it doesn't do anything. It just kind of sits there in the middle of the zone. It's a meatball. 
And for some reason, a lot of batters don't take advantage of it. And then he throws the fastball, which everyone's sitting on. And once you get eight, nine, ten pitches into an at-bat, you've been sitting on that pitch for eight, nine, ten pitches, and you're ready for it. Okay. Good call. I mean, I'm talking about slider when it's, when it's placed right. I should have I I said, but I get your point. Number when three. When it's placed wrong, like yeah. Altuve. He goes a splitter that just looks terrible. And I think the Altuve point is a good point because I think it's in the back of his head the whole time. I think he's afraid to throw that slider because of last year, but we'll get into that. Throws that splitter, which I don't know when that started, but it wasn't even close. But it's 0-2. You could try something new, try to get him to chase. Then he throws a fastball about a foot above the zone and just completely misses. 2-2. Then, Rousseau fouls off his first one. Now, this is – uh. I believe that first foul was a slider and it dropped on his back foot. So that was the first slider he threw and he tried to get it away. And that's a good spot. It almost worked, fouled it away. Okay. Pitch number six, fastball, another slider that hangs over the plate, fouls it away. Keep going in our notes here. Numbers, pitch number seven, a ball inside edge off the plate by a little bit, but it was a ball. Okay. Now we got three, two, fouls off the fastball. And now you're in trouble because now he doesn't know where to go. He's now throwing the slider. It's been fouled off. He's throwing a fastball. It's been fouled off. Now he's throwing fastballs consistently, and they're getting fouled off. And the eye test when you're watching that game, you know that he is on this pitch. He, you know he's Everyone seeing this it. fastball. And we're at a point in this league, and I can take here because two pitches, but we're at a point in this league where guys can hit a fastball that's 103 miles an hour. They're, they're, their hands are fast enough. So a guy like Brousseau, who you saw do it throughout the season against the Yankees, he's on that fastball, waiting for that fastball. Pitch number nine, throws that fastball. I believe that was the one. I should have kept my notes next to me. I believe that's the one where he pulled down the line, and he hit it pretty well deep. And I said, I was sitting next to Bob that night, and I said to Bob, I said, he's got one more, and this thing, it's going to be over. And throws that fastball, caught way too much of the plate, as soon as I saw it hit, I knew it was gone. And that's got to be the biggest mistake. Chapman kept going back to a pitch that he knew. He knew the batter was on because he was afraid to throw the slider where he needed to throw it. And that's, it's the biggest point because you're in a game five elimination game with your best reliever on the mound. Best reliever, I should say in quotations. But your best reliever is on the mound in the biggest spot against a guy that has good history against you all season against the Yankees, maybe not necessarily Chapman, besides the ball that hit him in the side of the temple, um, or almost did, I should say, almost, excuse me. Um, but he's on it. You know you shouldn't throw it. You do, and that's what cost you the game, cost you the season, and it cost you a World Series berth, World Series title. That, it, 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 it's just the most important part. I, I don't – I know you're going to debate and say that, it, you know, it was it – was, more important that the whole J.A. half situation, and that's fine, but that's where I stand. A couple things here. Um, with, with Chapman specifically, I know we've, we've talked in the past throughout our chats. Um, it's Mariana. Statistically, he is comparable to some of the best relievers in the game, but of course, best relievers of all time, I should say. But he does not come up when is he's needed most. I think of 2016 in the World Series, he almost cost them, cost the Cubs game seven, giving up that, I believe it was a two-run bomb 
to Rajay Davis that tied the game. Similar situation. They were trying to shut the door. Um, I remember, I believe it was, it was, was it 2018. They were playing the Red Sox. I'll basically never forget this game. It was a slug it out game. Would be on Yankees Classics probably, which you can find on the Yes Network anytime. Plenty of games there. Um, this one, unfortunately, didn't make it because Chapman hung a pitch to Devers, who put it, planted it in the right field seats. That ended the game. Then, of course, there's the 2019 versus the Astros that happened one year ago tonight where he hung a slider. And then, of course, a couple a week or so ago or a week ago against against the Rays hanging that fastball right over the plate as Brousseau was sitting on it for 10 pitches. Chapman's not cut out for these situations. The Rays were, were hungry for it. But when you talk about, you know, it, was it how many pitches, 10 pitches, when there are a lot of stats out there. We tried to pull stats on, like, how many pitches per bat a, a batter needed to be successful or where the most successful batters were. And there's really no correlation between the number of pitches and a batter sees versus their success. I mean, there's we'll, some. we're going to get to that in a second because okay, – okay. No, no, I'm not, I wasn't crushing you aside. That, that was just me saying there's things on that that differentiate Chapman from a different any other situation that's happened when it's a longer at bat, but we will get to that. What I need to hear is why you think game two situation was more important than a game five situation. It reset the whole bullpen. I mean, if you just didn't – and you played right into – they played right into the, the Rays analytical system – they tried to out-raise, out-devil-raise the Rays in, in a game when their analytical department, analytics department, whatever, is not up to snuff clearly with the Rays, who have been building their entire organization off of this because they have no money. Um, trying it with a rookie opener and then J-Hap, who they've been purposely limiting his his innings and some of his stats to make sure he doesn't receive some of his contract incentives. Um, he was not, not that he was going to purposely tank that game, but it was kind of like he was going in there and like, if it went badly for him, I don't think he was going to feel as bad as say a Debbie Garcia, who's been waiting his his whole young professional career for a moment like that I think giving him two three innings there then going to and even if they still lost that game after that it doesn't completely tank the bullpen at that point and tank the game it builds confidence though which is good so you want to build confidence in a big game um because we'll get to that but real quick just to uh Go against your point there. Uh, Jay Happ is a veteran in this league. It's never won a World Series. And you're saying because of his contract situation, or maybe he did with the Phillies. I don't think he did. He's never won a World Series, I don't think. And um, you're saying his contract situation would make him not care if he blew the game in a game two. I want that to be um, highlighted a little more before we go forward. And he finishes his thought. I want everyone to remember that that was just said, Todd from Joe. J-Hop is, not, <laughs> J-Hop is not a reliever. Let's 
let's let's get that straight. And if you listen to his post game his post game press conference, he wasn't on board with the plan. So they needed to ask him if he was okay with the plan. And then if he wasn't okay with the plan and wasn't willing to execute that plan, then they needed to go somewhere else because his heart wasn't in it. You know, he's not a Yankee at heart. There are some guys who come here, who come to the Yankees, who don't earn their pinstripes. J.A. Happ has not earned his pinstripes. He will never be thought of as a Yankee. And he'll be gone after this offseason, and we won't hear from him again. But we're talking about Davey Garcia, who we're giving all this credit to. He should have pitched game two. He should have been the guy. He, he should have gone three, four pitched, innings. He went one inning and gave up one run. What makes you think he okay. was going to go four dominantly? What, do you th- what makes you think he wasn't going to give up more and give up just as much as J.A. Happ? We needed to play it by ear. He wouldn't have given up as much as J.A. Happ. That's not going to happen. But what makes you think that? Some of your best pitchers on the Yankees, like Masahiro Tanaka, which we always joke about, but he's a consistent pitcher in these spots. What Tanaka gave up three or four. So what makes you think Davey is going to give up less than that against a good – I mean, we can say what we want about the Rays and they're analytical and they do things this way, but they can hit the ball. I mean, they, they – They had they, never seen – I'm pretty sure they had never seen Davey before. And they hit him for a home I'm, run in the second at bat. In one at bat. Pictures uh, give up one run in an inning sometimes. I think they needed to see to see what was – what the deal was there, what was going on, if they could yeah. get any length out of Devi, especially when your bullpen is as depleted as theirs was missing, missing Tommy Canely. Um, Adovino can't be trusted in, in high leverage situations. You got Johnny Luizaga who can't really be trusted in high leverage situations. There's really only three guys, really now only two, because Chapman has shown what he is in terms of, his ability to control high leverage situations. There are only two guys in that Yankees bullpen as it's constructed right now that I would trust in a high leverage situation. It would be Chad Green. If you went to Chad there, if they went to Chad, gave Chad three innings. Chad started out as a starter. He can give you length. He could have been a, you know, a Ryan Yarborough type piece for the Yankees in this series. You go Debbie for an inning or two. If, if that's the plan, fine. Go Devi for an inning or two. Give it to Chad for three. Or go Devi for three, Chad for three. And then you're in the seventh inning. And then you can go to some combination of Britain and then Chapman, I guess, because that's all you have at your disposal at this point. You could even give a run to a guy like Clark Schmidt in, in the seventh inning or give him some length. There are just several other guys I would have gone to in that situation if that was the plan they were going with, your other first, than J.A. Happ. Your first point, and I don't want this to be minimized, saying that this moment in game two wasn't a big moment. It, of course, was a big moment, but Chapman's was bigger, obviously. Obvious to me, at least. Um, Chapman's was the bigger moment. It was going – there was really – there was no alternative – what they could have done in that situation. Well, there was an alternative not to throw a fastball over the plate. Well, yes, there was no alternative. He could have blocked him. But the decision – he could have. But the decision to put Chapman in Who was the game, next? Who was next at bat? 
it would have been who hit that Brazil, and I think he was pinch hitting for Choi at that time. So it would have no. been he was he, wasn't he was, he was for Choi. You guys talk. So. You guys talk. I'll find it. Or don't talk. Um, <laughs> um, no, but uh, I'm going to look it up as you talk here. But at the same point, you know, it was a bigger moment. But real quick before we jump back to that, I wanted to say something to you. You, Your first point was that the Yankees, by doing this, they ruined their bullpen situation. And then your fix to the situation was to use five pitchers instead of four. So how does that help the bullpen situation going forward in the series? And yeah, how does that help? There were guys in that game that could have been utilized that maybe put you in a situation where you're not as desperate in game three. It changes the whole complexion of the series. If you utilize your bullpen arms, right? They're not at a shortage of bullpen arms. It's just a matter of how they use them and in what leverage situation they use those guys in. Maybe there's not as high leverage situation as there would have been, and you could throw in a guy like a Loisaga or a Clark Schmidt or Avino for a seventh inning if it's a – even if the game is out of hand one way or the other. Yeah. So I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot where they lost that game in such a way that they psyched themselves out that they started overcompensating in the following games. So to jump back to where we started to go with Bob, and I know where we, where we want to go with this conversation, but before we get there, I mean, it's kind of part of it too. After him, he did pinch hit for Troy. I was right. And after him was... I stand corrected. Yandy Diaz. Yandy who, fucking Diaz. Who was batting 111. Watch he was batting, batting 111. And he, 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 he walked twice in the game, so he's a good eye. But, but I mean, and to the, to the point where we're going with this is... No one is saying Chapman's Chapman's pitch or his decisions in that game were not mistakes. If we're saying that the mistake was to put in Chapman in the first place there, yes, it was also a mistake, but they had no other choice because of what happened in the previous games. Well, that's what I think makes it not a mistake. I think if you have no choice, I think Boone... You just said that Chapman was the bigger mistake. So now you're saying it's not a mistake? No, no, no. You messed that up. The mistake is that he threw a fifth straight fastball over the plate. Not that he was in the game. Who else was going to be in the game? Lasiaga? Schmidt? So I'm not saying Chapman had to be in the game. He is your most highest level, highest leverage reliever after Britain. I think Britain's more efficient, to be honest. But if but he you had don't already pitched. get into that situation, if you do not get into that situation in the first place, and say Chapman throws that pitch, it might be a completely different series prior to that. So that pitch might have not had – that situation may have never happened if it wasn't for game two. That's what I'm saying, which is why game two is the bigger mistake. So you – What happened by, in game two mm-hmm. – No, but no, by, saying, by saying that, you're saying that if Hap didn't go in the game – and you pitched Garcia, that you would have won that game. Who knows? That's what you're saying. And or that your was against situation. Your bullpen situation might have lined up differently. Who knows? That was against going into games three and four. Was that against Tyler Glass now or Morton? 
Game two was Glasnow, yes. Because Glasnow gave up a bunch in that game. But they yeah, we hit Glasnow pretty hard in that game. So, so we could have won that game, I feel like, if, if the bullpen situation was managed a little differently. But jumping back to that at-bat and what happened in that at-bat, last night, as we start leaning towards, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know, the World Series Game 1 is Tuesday, October 20th. It is the same day we're tomorrow. releasing our first episode. Tomorrow we're recording this on Monday. And it is the Tampa Bay Rays and the Dodgers. They will be going at it for the World Series title. And last night was Game 7. And similar to the Chapman at bat, there was a bat, I believe the pitcher on the on the Braves is Chris Martin. I could be yeah. wrong with the first. Chris Martin, okay. And he was up against Bellinger, Cody Bellinger. and Similar at bat, where I believe, Bob, you can fact check me here, but they went eight pitches. Eight pitches. Eight pitches, same kind of thing. And then Bellinger hits the home run that puts the nail in the coffin. Literally almost the same situation. Almost identical. Um, The question I think that is posed is, if you get to that point in 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 a bat where the batter's on you and you know it and there's no one on base, do you walk that batter and move on? Yes. The answer there is yes. That's a big mistake. If we're talking about these two mistakes as kind of one similar situation, I am not as in tune to what is going on in the NLCS in terms of how Dave Roberts may or may not have managed his bullpen, but or not Dave Roberts. The, the Braves manager, whose name, Brian Snicker, Brian Snicker, his name is Snicker. Mm-hmm. The name escaped me at this present time, but now I'm getting it back. Um, I don't know about his bullpen management. There, you could say, obviously, Chris Martin isn't most likely your top arm in that pen. It's Melanson, also a former Yank. Um, you could have put Melanson in the game there, given him, you know. Well, the Yankees, to, Yankees could have used him last week. They could have. He's a free agent after this year, so we can mm-hmm. talk more about that in terms of what the Yankees do moving forward. Real quick, by the way, before I um, before we jump back into um, that point, I just want to clarify for the whoever's listening, for whoever, whatever, is you're, are you talking about when you say they should, if you get to that point in the at-bat, you should walk them. Are you saying you just put them on? You say, fuck this at-bat, I'm putting them on. If it gets to two out, yes. You don't give him anything to hit there. If he yeah. gives you a, a gift, and, I feel like know, that's a different something in the dirt. That's a different argument to me. I think, and maybe I would agree with you if that's if the argument is you're you're two zero or you're three two even. Let's just talk about the bat the Yankees race. Chapman's at bat. Sure, if you're behind in the in the count, put him but on. I'm but I'm not. This is my difference here. I think there's ways to go after a batter without throwing him anything he can hit. Like Chapman, his slider gets rough sometimes. We know that. But 3-2, I'm not on the board with what you've said, with what Bob said about just walking a guy. I think with Chapman, he could have threw something hard in the dirt. There's no one on base. If you feel like you can't throw him another fastball because that's going to happen, which clearly it was – Anyone can see it with their eyes. If you throw something hard in the dirt, 
he may be looking at fastball so much that he sees that speed going down and he takes a hack at it. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. And last night against Bellinger, same kind of thing. You don't have to throw them something to hit, but you could still give yourself a chance to finish that at bat without throwing the pitch that everybody in the world knows is coming. Definitely. And to a guy like Bellinger that can hit the ball a mile, I think you're, you're absolutely playing with fire there. And then the tie, tie winner take all game. You want, you'd rather a, a batter, not of Cody Bellinger's quality to, to beat you there and say, well, you know, that wouldn't have been expected an expected outcome. He, if you're going at Cody Bellinger, Cody Bellinger is one of the best hitters in the game. Eventually, he's going to beat you. He knew and that's that what pitch happened. was coming. And you could tell by the way he swung that bat and the way he finished his swing. And he knew exactly where that pitch was going to be. With are, every fiber are, you saying, are you saying they're, they're using some sort of cheating mechanism? Is that no, what you're, no. you're, you're saying? Let's not, go there. Let's not go there. I'm not a Yankee fan, so I don't get too crazy about cheating. Whoa. Um, <laughs> um, but staying on, we, you know, we just touched on the Dodgers game. We touched on uh, what happened last night, you know, with Bellinger hitting that home run and sending them to the World Series and another chance for the Dodgers to – the Dodgers who are a very similar constructed team. Dave Roberts promised, promised that they would win it if you – Yeah. He said I mean, this is our year. Very so similar that could be an old pick exposed. Very similar to the Yankees in the fact that, I mean, outside of the fact Dodgers actually advanced to the World Series, um, where they fall short. One way or another, they fall short every year. And that's a very similar system and the same money spent. I mean, Dodgers spent a little more money, but same kind of concept. Um, but going into the series, we have the Rays, we have the Dodgers, number one seeds in both um, American League, National League, which – I, for one, will talk about this later, but I, for one, wouldn't have saw the best team in each um, in, uh, in each league getting to the World Series because of the way the format was. But we'll talk about that. But let's talk a little bit about this series and what we have coming up against the two best teams in baseball. You could say what you want, but it ended up being the two best teams in baseball got to the World Series. So some keys to the series that you see on both sides, whether it's the Rays, whether it's the Dodgers, what do you got? For me, this is power versus power. You got the power bat of, of the Dodgers, who are a, a powerhouse one through nine. They have guys all around the lineup. Mookie Betts, Seager, Bellinger, Will Smith is even, even turning his season around. A bunch of guys there. That, Kike Hernandez, Justin Turner. It goes on and on. They have guys there who put together quality plate appearances and in the NL, which is heavily reliant on pitching, they're kind of going against the grain of the other NL teams and are built more like a typical American league team would be built. And they may play well into mitigating the Rays' strengths and the Rays are kind of built like what you would think a typical national league team would build be built like you know they have a lot of power arms they're very deep in their bullpen what Kevin Cash likes to do with mixing and max mixing up matchups there where he tends to put in a guy he'll put in a guy that throws a fastball 105 
in your face. And then he might throw a guy after that who has a 92 mile an hour changeup that just looks like a fastball all the way and then just tails off. So he does a good job. It's, it's going to be interesting to see who wins in those battles between kind of those pitching matchups where the Rays will be having quick hooks, I think, on their pictures. You even saw it late in the in the ALCS where Charlie Morton was taken out with like 66 pitches. He could have gone much further. It almost cost them with the Blake Snell situation as well where they took him out earlier than than needed and Blake Snell was kind of like, what what's going on here? So it'll be interesting to see who wins those battles between that pitching rearrangement that they constantly go through with their, their Excel nerds trying to figure out the matchups versus the Dodgers who just sit on pitches and kind of know what's coming and are, are a powerhouse one through nine. And in terms of, I can go into who I think is going to win this unless we want to hold that off for now. Let's, but Let's hold that off to the end of it, the second, okay. and then we will get each one of our predictions. And, yeah, no, but I, I, I get what I, I kind of follow what you're saying, but I think the Rays, their, their biggest key here is to play to their strength, where they have to configure their rotation exactly how they need it to be. I think, personally, Morton, with the day off between, I believe they have a day off between game five and six, that's where their day off is. I think next Monday is the rest day, and then six is Tuesday, seven is Wednesday. I think that's kind of where it's set up. But if you can get Morton to go game three and game seven with that day off, that's five, that's four or five days rest. It's enough for him. I think he – I know Snell is a Cy Young. I know Snell is Snell, but I think Morton needs to be in there in the, in the pivotal game seven. And if you use that day where it's three to seven and you have that day off in between – if you have a chance to close it out or need him in game six, you can do that. So you set up more in that way. Snell gets game one, Snell gets game four. Um, then you have um, Tyler Glass now for games two and six. And then game five, you can use his bullpen game or however you want to do that. Game five, most likely how I see the series shouldn't, it's going to be a pivotal game, but I don't see game five being an elimination game. I think one way or another, it's going to be three, two going. I think it'll be two, two going into game five. So I don't see it as an elimination game. I think it's something you can recover from if you have your Snell Morton going six, seven or, or um, sorry, Morton and what's his name going six and seven. The point is if you line up your rotation the right way, I think that's imperative for the Rays. And I think playing to their strength, playing to how they've got there. I know people argue it till they're blue in the face, but there's a reason why it worked. I know it didn't work in game six of the ALCS um, where they pulled Snell and it ended up costing them. I get that, but it's worked more than it hasn't. So I think you stick with that. And if you're the Dodgers, listen, I'm going to say play to your strengths again because these are two of the best teams in the MLB. There's a reason why they both have got there doing what they've done. So do what you do well and adjust accordingly. My personal feeling is, for whatever reason, the Dodgers choke every year. I trust Kevin Cash more than Dave Roberts right now. I, 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 it sounds crazy, but all I've seen is Dave Roberts come up smaller and smaller every single World Series with a bad decision. I think what's going to happen is what he did last night was one of the best moves he's done. He had a kid going in the seventh who was dominating. 
He lets him come out for the eighth, Julio Urias. Then he lets him come out for the ninth and finish the game. Best decision he did. He had the hot hand. He rode who was hot. And I don't care who it is in this series. It could be him. could be Dustin May. could be the other kid, um, Bruce Dargraderal, who's got some movement. Any of those guys, if they get hot, ride them till they're done. Ride them till they're done. Don't, you don't have to force Kenley in a game, just like the Rays wouldn't force their closer in a game. So you work it with high-leverage situations. The Dodgers need to be better in that, in that situation, and that's one of their keys to getting over the Rays is to be a little smarter than the Rays, and that's not easy to do. So, yeah, so now we can do our predictions, and I want to switch this up a little bit. So we could start with Babu. Babu, what are your predictions? Uh, I'm going to say Rays in six. I have no support for it, but that's what I feel. So no facts backing it up, just just your feeling. Nope, I'm running with the Rays. I like Randy. Randy's going to come in hot. Randy. That's what it's going to be. Randy's going to be the savior. He is the Cuban Mike Trout. Todd, what do you got? I like to call him the Cuban Mookie Bats. So we're going to see Mookie Bats versus the Cuban Mookie Bats. I have... I think the Dodgers win this. I think it's their time. I think they're going to figure it out. I think Kevin Cash kind of gets in his own – the whole analytics team kind of gets in their own head sometimes. We kind of saw it at the end of, end of that series where it almost, almost bit them. I have the Dodgers. I think they win this. They could win this pretty handily, I think, in five or six. I think – I think their that, bats will be too much. I think that's crazy. I think – the nerds in this situation are needed. I didn't say this before, but I think nerds in baseball isn't the worst thing if you mix it with talent and if you mix it with players that can play on the field. Um, I just like the Rays. I think there's something about them. They've been like nearly dominant throughout the playoffs. And in the aspect of every series they've been in, even when they blew a 3-0 lead to come back, um, they felt in control at all times. Even in the Yankee series, outside, I would say, of game one, um, I, I felt like they, they felt in control of that series in the weirdest way. I felt like it was always the Yankees battling uphill. I don't know why. Maybe that was just me. But what I've seen from the Rays is that they can control the games the way they need to. And I just don't think the Dodgers can finish off the Rays. I'm going to say, because the way these series have gone for both teams, I'm going to say Rays in seven. I think, like I said, I think we go into game – we go into that Monday day off uh, two – it would be 3-2. Three, 3-2 two. Three, two, one way or the other. I think it goes – into Monday goes 2-2, two, two, get the day off. And then game six, game seven, I think it goes seven. I think one way or another they figure it out. And I think we have Morton versus Bueller in seven. I don't think that as much as the Dodgers – are starting Kershaw in game one. I don't think they trust him in a game seven. I just don't think they do. So I got raised in seven. Now, talking about the World Series, that signifies the end of a season. So this was a weird one. 60-game season. Um, everything that went on. In review of it, Todd, question I have for you is – what are some of the positives you took from the shortened season? And, of course, I know you'll have them. What are some of the negatives you took from the shortened season? Well, like you said, I will have plenty of negatives. I honestly don't know if there's a positive from this season. I mean, no fans, um, prorated salaries, 
we didn't we didn't see the typical like roster expansions that go on. You know, maybe someone gets hot in the minors and you call them up. We we didn't get that chance. Um, yeah, I I honestly can't really think of too many positives in this situation. A lot of guys, I think, remained healthy, which you could say is a positive, more so than I would have expected to stay healthy. I don't mean from the Yankees specifically. I mean kind of in the league. I know there were a lot of injuries, but I think there could have been a lot more. So I guess you could say that's positive. In terms of negatives, the expanded playoffs, um, seven-inning doubleheaders, I think, should go away forever. I know people like it because it takes less time. It cuts time down. A baseball game is nine innings. A seven-inning game, I think, skews with stats. If a game is 3-2 in the seventh inning and you manage your bullpen situation completely different in a seven-inning game, you know, what? no one knows what could have happened over those those two games. And especially in a 60-game season where – one or two games could make a, a huge difference versus an 162 game season where that might kind of, you know, the law of averages works out and, and the best teams come to the top in a 60 game season that doesn't work. I still don't want to see that in a, in a 162 game season. And the other negative of course, is that this was a 60 game season instead of 162 game season. I think a lot of things play out differently in a 162-game season than they did this year. You probably see teams like the Astros get hotter, than it, which is the reason why they made it as far as they did. I think they were kind of coming into their stride because this would typically be about the midpoint of a typical baseball season in terms of the number of games that were played. And you'd see teams like the A's and the Twins kind of fade back and the Blue Jays fade back into where they belong and then the Yankees were kind of overcoming their injury bug and I think needed some time to coalesce there and get their act together might have given their their pitching staff some some ability to recoup there so obvious negative there no fans being in the stands I'm usually at games 15 to 20 times a year I haven't been to Yankee game in over a year at this point. The last game of that was game five of the 2019 ALCS where James Paxton pitched a gem and we can go into the Yankees a little more later, I think, in terms of what they're going to do this offseason. Um, what happened in game six, though? What happened in game six? I think we kind of covered that a, a couple okay. seconds ago. With, no, I, with just, Chapman, so. I didn't know if you wanted to go back. I'm, I'm all right for now. All right, cool. But we had game, we had game five. So – Hmm. A lot of negatives there. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back into a baseball stadium very soon in the spring. And, yeah, just looking forward to this season being over. Yeah, and I'm a little different. I took more positives out of this than negatives. Um, My positives, some of them, obviously, it's different for you. You're a Yankee fan. You come from the system of the American League. I'm a National League guy. I loved the universal DH. I think it's something that's not going anywhere. Um, I think it fits perfectly for National League team. For the longest time, I hated it. I thought pitchers should hit. Um, but the more you see the way rosters are being built right now, that extra DH spot is becoming more and more necessary. Um, so 
I, I, I think I'm, I'm a fan of that. I took a positive from that. Another thing I took was you touched on it, but you went the other way. The expanded rosters throughout the season. Um, you had an extra player pool to use extra guys. Um, and you were able to be a little bit more of a manager. Now I'm not saying, I believe throughout the season, they had like 30 man roster at some point and it shrunk as you went on. Um, I don't hate that. I don't mind starting the regular season at 28 and, you know, working your way gradually down or 30 and working your way gradually down. Um, I think it helps injuries. I think it helps longevity of the season. And I think it lets managers manage a little more with the extra players they have, whether it's the gloves, whether it's extra speed. I think it adds a fun wrinkle to the game when you can be a little bit more uh, different, be a little more smart, be a little more creative. And I think that's, that's a positive I took. Another one was, now the playoffs, I don't necessarily love the format of it where all these teams made it and they went into that first round and beat up on each other. I didn't hate, the, the games being five straight days or eight, uh, seven games in eight days type thing for the World Series. I think it makes, again, like I just talked about, makes managers manage a little more. It makes them work a little harder at developing how they're going to use their bullpen, how they're going to use their rotation, how they're going to use their bench. And I think it adds a fun wrinkle to a game that needs new energy. I think a lot of the things we saw this year throughout the season – was we were able to add new energy to a game that needed energy desperately. Now, with that being said, I agree with you. I think trying to bring energy to the seven inning double headers and making these games shorter so people will watch them longer, I don't think that matters. And I think it was, it was a bad choice. I think it worked for what they were dealing with. They needed to get more games done, but that's not something I want to see continued. I don't think that brings new audience in. I just think it deters your audience you currently have. Um, it just feels forced. It feels just pointless. And how are you giving, I mean, for some of these teams, they paid, they played four or five double headers. So 10 of your games on your schedule were based off of a seven inning double header. That was the difference in teams making the playoffs and not making the playoffs this year. So I just didn't like it. I understand why they did it, but that's something I never want to see again. And then the last one is the extra inning rule. I hated that extra inning rule. I understand what they were trying to do. And at the end of the day, if you say we're keeping the extra inning rule for regular season games and doing the same thing in the playoffs, like they did this year, I guess I can get around it. I'm not going to be as passionate as other things about it, but I didn't like the starting from second. Um, I just, I think it takes, it takes, like I just said before, it takes the, the making like the um, decisions out of a game. And I think it just, I just hated it. I hated every aspect of that. But like I said, things I took, I took out of it, things I didn't take out of it, and I took negatively from it. It was a very interesting year. It was a very interesting year. And um, yeah, so as we wrap up this show, and thank you for joining us on the first episode. This is going to be a fun show. I can already tell. Um, every week's going to be great. There's a segment. Now, this is a special by Toddy G. This is, you know, his segment he wanted to do it this day in history. Um, and because we recorded once a week, every now and then we could have it this day in history that took place on the week that we missed at some point. It doesn't always have to be the Monday we're recording. We'll try to do that. Um, we have two things today to give you. I'm going to play a little video clip for you. 
Off the end of the bat. Arroyo. The ball gets loose. It's down the right field line. Jeter coming all the way around. It's a one-run game. And now we're going to have an argument as Frank Gona comes out of the dugout. He swatted the ball out of Arroyo's head. If it's in the process of running to first base, that's one thing. If he intentionally swatted it with one hand or one arm or the other. So that was a big moment in Yankees history. Todd, what what kind of feelings does that bring to you? One I one I remember pretty well. Obviously, that was kind of the beginning of some of the dark days, a lot of what went on towards the end of 2004, towards like 2005, 2006, a lot of Yankees fans like to call the abyss. Um, A-Rod was a firecracker that year. There was obviously some tension because he almost went to the Red Sox. Um, and he was on steroids. He doesn't, he what? And he was on steroids. I'm sure that didn't help his anger. Sure, probably not. Um, he was as was David Ortiz at that point and Manny Ramirez and a couple other guys on the Red Sox. So it was kind of the steroid age, but we, that, that whole steroid conversations for another day. I, we I do just, a specific episode on that, but I just thought it was important. To A-Rod, sure. A-Rod specifically in that situation messed up the game because if he just takes the tag, um, gets out, then Jeter, can stay where he he could have been on second base. Instead, he wasn't allowed to advance, I believe is what happened, if my memory is correct. So hmm. A-Rod was called out on interference. Jeter wasn't able to move or, or advance bases, and that kind of killed that inning. We were down to two outs with just Jeter on, and that kind of killed – that really – deflated the Yankees in that series. And as we all know, we know how that ended. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to remind people how it ended or do you want me to? Oh, uh, you can. Yankees. I tend to remove that from my memory. Okay. Yeah. The Yankees became the only team in history to uh, not finish off a 3-0 series, I believe in the ALCS. Sure, right. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Uh, but yeah, no. So, <laughs> um, but A-Rod kind of, I mean, for me, it's a different feeling um, not being a part of that as a fan just watching it more as a baseball fan than a Yankees or Red Sox fan. But A-Rod became a little um, synonymous for those type of situations where he would do something and then act like, what do you mean? What do you mean I can't do that? Like when he looked like, wait, I didn't hit the ball. And he also did something, I remember it being later in the 2000s, where he ran behind an infielder that was catching up. And this is maybe in my brain, maybe it's not right. But I think he was playing the Blue Jays or something like that, or the Orioles, yeah. and he ran behind the guy and, like, yelled in his head or something, right? Yeah. And then when they said, you know, you, you, you can't do that, um, he, he pretended, like, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. So he became synonymous for that situation. And kind of the moments I remember, A-Rod, are those same moments. I remember that moment. I remember the Red Sox. A lot of his moments come from the Red Sox-Yankees games because – the game later and after the steroids were after the steroids were announced that he had cheated and he returned 
and I believe it was Ryan Dempster who was pitching for the Red Sox at that point, and he plunked A-Rod. Um, and then the Yankees manager at the time was Girardi. He came out, got tossed. I remember that game was a Sunday night baseball game. That's how I remember it as a non-Yankees Red Sox fan. And, of course, if we're giving Todd something, I'll walk down memory lane and feel pain. Um, it's only fair that we give me some pain. And this one's very painful, so I'm going to play this for you. And this all happened today in history, so that's pretty cool. Um, so here you go. Here's, here's the second clip of this day in history. Scott Rowland. And Scott Rowland hits one into deep left field. Back at the wall. A leap. And a catch. Andy Chavez takes a home run and turns it into a double play. Unbelievable. Now, when I say that gave me pain, I don't mean that specific play. I mean what the feelings bring back after that. Because, yes, as a Met fan, you look back at that and you go, oh, wow, what a moment in time. And then you remember how you felt about 30 minutes later. And I remember that game. And obviously the catch, I remember that moment. I remember him making that catch, and it was something. Even being, I think I was 12 at the time, I was remember I was watching it with my mom, who's not a real baseball fan, but we were sitting on the couch and it was late on a school night and we're watching the game with her and being like, holy, I didn't, I don't think I cursed. I know I definitely cursed. I definitely cursed that age, but holy shit, crazy play. But just to fast forward to the feeling of what that brings up and it brings up Beltron sitting on the curveball, of course. And I remember that moment in time. I remember that moment. And seeing that curveball drop, and I, without skipping a beat, I didn't get sad. I didn't scream. I stood up. I looked at, and I'm 12 at the time. I looked at my mom, and I said, I'm not going to school tomorrow. And I just walked upstairs. There was no other word said, no other emotion. And I'm pretty sure I literally walked upstairs and just went to bed. It was one of the weirdest feelings ever. It was like I died a little bit, and I was like just, I was dead. And I just walked upstairs, went to sleep, woke up the next day and felt the pain over again. That's what I remember from that moment. That's what that moment brings up. Love me some Andy Chavez. Hate me some Yadier Molina because he ended up hurting us at some point in that game too. Todd? That situation is kind of very similar emotionally to DJ LeMayhew tying the game last year in the ALCS. That moment alone and what we felt in that moment was – such an incredible feeling of like, yes, we're back. We can do this. And then immediately you think of the absolute demoralizing moment of, in this case, Chapman blowing that game. So very similar situation, 14 years apart. Um, Obviously the Mets fans and the Mets and their fans have dealt with that time and again throughout their history. And hopefully at some point with uncle Stevie coming into the mix, we can get some Subway Series action here moving forward. Yeah. Uncle Stevie is, is the savior of the Mets. You will hear about him endlessly on this podcast. And that's the end of it. That's the end of episode one. Thank you for joining us. It was, it was a blast. Now, while you're here, make sure you remember, Tuesdays, this is going to come out every Tuesday. Go like us on Spotify. We will be all over on podcast networks. Like, subscribe, review. And also, don't just stop at liking, watching, and subscribing to this podcast. There's going to be four podcasts on the network by the end of this week. On the Bump, 
uh, the College Football Unmasked, the Nick Barlotta Show, and the NFL Weekly Pick'em Show. Now, there is going to be a little change in the Pick'em Show scheduling. Um, I haven't even explained to Ty what I plan on doing, but we will post it on Friday, and there's a way we're going to incorporate Thursday night games. Um, I think it's a fun way. I will talk to Todd about that. I'm sure he'll be okay with it. I should have brought it up beforehand, but it's not a big deal. So we want, everything to, we want everything to be on separate days. Nick Barlotta's show Wednesday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Keep everything separate. Give it its own day for now until we get more shows. Like I said, show love across the platform, and we're going we're gonna to keep growing. Go to the moon. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the feedback. And Todd, any last words? Ready for the World Series. Excited for this week and excited for the season moving forward. And Babu? Let's go Rays. Let's go Rays. That's how we do it. Thank you guys again. Have a great week. And hold the